celebrating the Freeze Lecture Series on Scribble. Welcome to Scribble, 30 minutes of conversation, comments, and reviews on reading and writing, editing, publishing, and selling books. I'm Rebecca Wee. And I'm Don Wooten. Paul Olson was first up in this year's Freeze Lectures. We'll ask him about it on Scribble. Freeze Lecture Series. I don't know that that's commonly known of. Some people are, may not be generally aware that this is something that goes on every year. Mm-hmm. That's right, it does. And yeah. several years on the run still. Yeah. yeah. And you get uh, <clears throat> four, <clears throat> four professors from Augustana College to pick a book and uh, talk about it in the Rock Island Public Library. And this year... The general theme was ideas that changed us. So why did you pick Sophie's Choice, Paul? Because Sophie's Choice changed me in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, I was on my way with a, a, a literature course called uh, The Images of the Divine. The title changed to uh, the secular and the spiritual. And uh, then I read Sophie's Choice and I changed the whole curriculum for that course. <laughs> and that became, uh, you know, it's 600 pages long, and it became the first thing we read. We read a lot more besides that. Um, and uh, it here's how it changed the Augustana English Department, or at least one course, and how it changed me personally. Um, students, I would always ask them to rate the books I taught, and if they got fours and twos and threes and fives even, I would take it out of the course. Sophie's Choice got 10 every single time for probably 15 years. And then I quit taking records because I knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it changed students. It changed me. It changed the curriculum. You're putting a lot of trust in their, in their reading, but that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's... <clears throat> but that is a tough book. That is nothing easy about that book. It is. I had a, uh, a study guide. It was about seven pages. And it, what I did is I pulled out probably 60 or so uh, quotations from the book, told them what page it was on. And as they read, I said, go ahead and underline those before you read the book even mm. so that they kind of jump out and say, this is something I got to pay attention to. And not only the quote, but what's around it. And that was just kind of a little trick that really worked. And I think it made reading... Um, easier. They they had something to pay attention to to make sure they didn't read it quickly and let it go. Right. Um, <clears throat> so um, it changed a lot of things. But besides that, it, it changed me because I actually became pen pals with with William Styron. We had many many letters back and forth. He came to Augustana twice. So and- there are a lot of changes that happened. I think because of. Sophie's Choice. I love that story because you wrote to him kind of as a fan, right? I did. And 
I think that there that we should do more of that. I suppose it's not quite the same now because everybody's in touch with everybody online all the time. But to to send a letter and say this book well, changed yeah, me. He, he wrote back a three page handwritten letter. That's how he wrote his novels as well, and said, you know, in this crazy world of literary clumsiness. One doesn't know. Now, this is a guy who won a Pulitzer, won you know the Academy Award mm -hmm. in, in the in the Sophie's Choice movie. He didn't, but Sophie's. Um, I mean, he's a giant, and yeah. he said one really not, doesn't know how the world takes your writing until a letter like yours comes along. And then he wrote on for three pages. Yeah. And my last question to him in the letter was, "Do you do? Would you come here?" And he said, I'm pretty busy, but I would be happy to come. Give me a date. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. just, I, I mean, I think that what moves me in that story is that we do assume out here in the yep. world that famous writers know they're famous and their books are selling. And, you know, they why would they care to get a letter from somebody yep. in, a, in Iowa? And the fact that it mattered that much to him, that his work mattered to you, that your letter mattered to him, that... You know, it's it's beautiful. It's he uh, he he sent it to me. He got a letter from a, a Polish guy that had read Sophie's Choice, and in broken English, uh, this Polish man wrote and said what Sophie's Choice meant to him. And my point is, Styron sent me the letter or a copy of it, but that he kept it. Yeah. Uh, the Styron yeah. kept it, so obviously it meant something. it meant something. Yeah. Yep. But what a fraught story that is. What an emotionally wrenching thing it is. Oh, and, it uh, is. What is it about that? It, was it simply the emotional impact of it? Was the the tortured life of these people? What What is it about this book that you think is so compelling? I think it's uh, beyond the physical horrors that we see in old videos and so on. Mm -hmm. In fact, I showed one of those. It was 40 minutes long before we started Sophie's Choice. It was an NBC production uh, probably 60 years ago, and pictures of the Holocaust. Liberating the camps or yeah, something? Yeah, and, and liberating and opening mm -hmm. up the doors to see what wasn't liberated. I yeah. mean, it was a horrible yeah. experience and, and said, now we're going to go, because of this book, past that. And I'm using his language now when I said his goal was to capture the emotional, the psychological, and the spiritual essence of the horrors of the Holocaust. Yeah. And Sophie, you know, she commits suicide. She yeah. And she tries twice before she finally succeeds. Uh, the spiritual horrors are, if it's possible, worse than the physical horrors. Yeah. But for sure, that's true for her. I mean, she didn't suffer um, anything physical, but she suffered great loss, you know, two children, a husband, a father. Um, but um, And herself, too, and, and, right? Or herself. Then she just... She, she has a... There's a great paragraph that you just think Styron had to hit it so right on the head. Uh, Sophie is talking to Stingo, the narrator, who is Styron's voice, and she says, my favorite piece of music is Handel's Messiah. I know that my Redeemer liveth. But you know, Stingo, I can't even listen to that anymore because I know that my Redeemer don't live and I never will see God in my flesh. Yeah. 
uh, the spiritual destruction. Um, I mean, those, those are the words right out of the Messiah. And yeah. my Redeemer don't live. I will never see God in my flesh. But the choice itself is so harrowing. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, the, you no, you I get don't. to that and you think, I can't take this. Yeah. Well, that's what she says. Yeah. Yeah. What? Choose? I can't choose. It you isn't can't. a choice, of it's, course. Yeah. It's, um, it's the sickness of the lieutenant that's on the ramp that says, you're not a Jew, you're a Yid, we, you can, you're not a Yid, you're a, you're a Pole, you, we, you can have a choice. You can have one. And, yeah, and it, of course it isn't a choice, and um, you're right. Yeah, you can't. It, it, it's, it's an unspeakable horror, and no wonder we don't know what has destroyed Sophie until nearly the very end, mm-hmm. yeah. when she tells the story to Stingo. Yeah, that's... Uh, that is really a shattering book. Yeah. And uh, Styron himself doesn't back off from tough things, does he? He doesn't. And and he's been really strongly criticized, uh, most especially um, before he wrote Sophie's Choice. He wrote uh, um, the, the, uh, uh, the story of Nat Turner, the, oh, confession, yeah. the Confessions of Nat Turner, and he was blasted in a, in a quite popular, at least in, the, in academia, a book called uh, Sophie's, uh, Styron Sophie's Choice, Ten Black Writers Respond. They called him sick. They called him a psychological disaster. They called him a liar. They, uh, it was awful. And, uh, uh, but on the other hand, by the way, uh, James Baldwin thought it was a great book. Uh. So he didn't, it wasn't the whole black community. But, uh, but these were writers who thought more. And But he says, even after that, I'll take those risks. He was told he hasn't mm-hmm. a right to write about the Holocaust, too. Sure. You, unless you're a Jew, unless you've experienced some of the horrors, mm-hmm. what? how can you bring imagination to that? And his comment was, silence is not the answer. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. And the imagination crosses all kinds of borders, yep. you know, that... that Thank goodness. It goes yeah. to the depths of yep. of the spirit and of the heart and I more remember, than the I physical. I remember reading the convention uh, about Nat Turner, and I thought, this is a masterful book. Hmm. And uh, it's something we ought to know about. Yep. But then when the, so many members of the black community said a white man can't write this, I thought, what do you mean? He just did. Yeah. And it's terrific. Uh, but there's that... There's that sense that unless you are of this particular group, either racially, socially, um, by virtue of education or something, that you're not allowed to to go beyond. You're not allowed to enter somebody else's territory. That strikes me as utter nonsense. Well, he thought so too, and he was surely willing to take the risk uh, and part of it was his respect for art. Mm-hmm. Uh, art isn't irrelevant, and art can take you past uh, just a, a physical um, into the depths of spiritual and psychological humanity. And um, well, for him to be able, in Sophie's choice, to imagine the horror for a mother, you know, he's. He he's to, writing, he has to be able to tap something because that's not an experience he's had or could have. You know, he's, he's 
he could be a father and lose a child, but it's very different when you're the person who had that child inside of you, you know, and... Yeah, and, and you make me think of, and I have it in front of me, um, a very short episode in Sophie's Choice <clears throat> when Stingo begins to sense that something is deeply troubling about Sophie. Read it. And yeah. uh, I, I can. Um, Sophie lives in this house, the Pink Palace. It's painted mm. pink. That was my first question on the quiz. Uh -huh. What color is the palace? Well, if they didn't know that, they hadn't read. They weren't painted. But they read. <laughs> and, and a guy named Morris Fink is her across the hall in a different room and he's telling Stingo about a f terrible fight that Sophie has with her lover Nathan mm -hmm. and the fight is physical uh, destroying for Sophie and uh, Morris Fink describes it <clears throat> they're gone both of them they finally cut out for good he's hollering at her about Auschwitz mainly something like Auschwitz and Stingo says about what? About Auschwitz, that's what he says. Called her a name and again asked her this weirdo question over and over. Asked her how come she lived through Auschwitz. What did he mean by that? Called her, what? This is Stingo. I faltered helplessly, nearly bereft of speech. Then what? <clears throat> he said something about how happy he'd be to never have to see her again. I've never heard anyone cry like that. Sophie was crying then. Anyway... After she was gone, he left in the opposite direction. Gone then? I whispered, evilly stricken now. He's, by now, Stingo is intimate friends with both of those, with yeah. Nathan and Sophie. <clears throat> so he's hurt that they're gone. Gone for good, he replied. Sophie, I feel sorry for. Sophie was a real nice broad, you know? For a moment, I could say nothing. The gentle Hayden, mumorous with longing, filled the abandoned room nearby, nearby with its sweet, symmetrical, pensive cadences, adding to my feeling of some absolute void and of irretrievable loss. Yes, I said finally, I know. What's Auschwitz? said Morris Fink. Oh, yeah. And then Stingo says, now I have to write. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yep. Stingles, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, but the book is, I mean, it is just powerful. And uh, you're in for a ride when you open it. Well, I wanted to ask about your students responding, because students haven't had those experiences either. And students are kind of notoriously impatient with long books or, you know, so the fact that they respond to it in the way you did, it sounds like, or or their version they, of it. Yeah, I think they did, Rebecca. Well, I know they did. Um, three years ago, I bought a car, and uh, the gal that kind of closed the deal said, oh, there's the teacher that taught the, my favorite book. Uh, yeah, I was there in 1987, she said, and I've never forgotten Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Um, and uh, as I said, I, I've asked students, there's usually 30, 40 in the class, it's never in the in the evaluation mm -hmm. gotten below a nine or a ten. They go with it. His writing is 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 beautiful, of course. Um, his language control is um, he's a poet in the best of sense of the word, and yeah. and he's created characters that that yeah. we feel for. I mean, we do for all of them. Um, what they're 
what uh, they're struggling with. You came to this choice. And by the way, let's go back. Our, uh, how does this selection work? Do, the people who run the Freeze series, do they select four people and ask them what they want to write about or, or talk about? Or how does that work? That's a good question. I think it's changed. I've done about three of them there, <clears throat> some on African-American literature. Um, this year there was the, a topic that mm-hmm. said a book that changed lives. Um, I've never been anywhere to talk about a book that hadn't changed lives. So <laughs> oh, that was an easy pick. But but Sophie's Choice was really an easy pick. Um, <clears throat> I could have picked... Tony Morrison's beloved. I could have, but somebody else is doing that, and mm. she'll be terrific. I could have picked Tony Morrison's Song of Solomon, but I had had longer years of experience with Sophie's Choice, and I saw how it affected students. I saw those nines and tens on evaluations. I heard students ten years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw students. You probably did too. It didn't even know it that. I saw students that had Sophie's Choice in class 10 years before Styron got there, and they came from Chicago and Minneapolis and St. Louis and when he back was here. when Styron was here. Yeah. It yeah. was an easy choice for me. Well, you know, <laughs> Change I, lives. I'm more in nonfiction. That's almost, it's almost all my reading. I occasionally stray into fiction, and uh, usually when it's a book that's caused a lot of stir and mm-hmm. or a happy response, and I read it. But uh, I've had a couple of nonfiction books that have changed me, too. And uh, the great one was The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. (laughs) It was a theory of the evolution of what we call the mind, Mm -hmm. Mm self-awareness. And it answered so many questions that I'd been carrying for years. Yeah. And... uh, you occasionally run into a book that does that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you never forget it. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that one, I thought, oh, so that's why this happened. <laughs> so that's what, uh, it was just great. Yeah, I understand that. And I think, you know, Styron did too. Uh, we know that fiction tells the truth. Yeah. Um, but Styron has a book called Darkness Visible, uh, and it's called A, a Memoir of, Dep- of uh, Insanity. Mm-hmm. And it's about his own depression, and it's oh yeah, yeah. It um, so he's done both. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's <clears throat> suffered from depression. Yeah, quite seriously. Seriously, yeah. he he had himself on two different. Again, I've got a stack of letters. They're all now at uh, um, <clears throat> in his library, but a stack of letters where he's twice uh, submitted himself to the Yale hospitals because he mm. knew he was suicidal. Yeah. Yeah. So he was aware of that. And the, the, the book, uh, <clears throat> Lie Down in Darkness, a big one early for him, uh, one, uh, the, it's called the Prix de Rome for the best English language book in Europe. Um, he won that award, and that was about the depression of a young woman. Um, and he's not a woman, and he wasn't young when he wrote it, but yeah. he could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh... I am constantly amazed and depressed by great writers mm-hmm. because when I have to write something, I think, why am I even trying? You know? Yeah. 
But most of the writers feel that as they're writing, too, at some point, you know, it's just, what am I doing? Who cares? You know, why? who's ever going to read this? How did you come to reading Sophie's Choice? Was it just, what What brought you to that book? Uh, a friend and a colleague, John Lang is his name. He was uh, my age, and we kind of came to Augie about the same time. And uh, he did his Ph.D. at Stanford on Styron before Sophie's Choice was written. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I just stumbled upon – he had the cover story in American Literature Journal. Okay. was Sophie's Choice by John Lang was the cover. I read it – I hadn't read Sophie's Choice at that point. I read his essay, read the book, went to – a giant leader for me is Dorothy Parkander and said, Dorothy, this book has to be taught. Yeah. It has to be in our curriculum at Augustana. Um, she supported it, of course, and said, yeah. go to it, Paul. <laughs> um, so for you, it was a, a kind of just instantaneous. It, too, instantaneous. Really. Yep. It, I, was, I, was ex- I was motivated by John Lang's article, and I was the depth of the spiritual destruction of Holocaust uh, in Sophie's Choice changed me. Yeah. And Park Ander was the gatekeeper. She really was. She had great taste in literature and all things. I'm lucky enough to, I was working on my dissertation after I came to Augustana. I came as a coach and I moved into English as, you know, I saw a hole and I went for it. She was my mentor for my my uh, dissertation, oh. and uh, I'd get chapters back, and there's no one better. Yeah. 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 Augie has had some really excellent teachers. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And uh, in all fields, but in English, you know that's. I well, think. you're talking to one of them because Paul, yeah. uh, he's retired, but say a little bit about what you've been doing with your retirement because he's not done teaching. No, I'm not done. Augustana has the APEP, it's Augustana Prison Education Program, and I get to uh, show my badge and walk inside the prison and sit down with uh, 12 men and teach African American literature. Yeah, um, and in lots of ways, I, I I joke, but it's not a joke. That this program has saved my life because planting flowers and riding my bike just doesn't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> Retirement. <laughs> I need something else, and the, the <laughs> teaching is uh, yeah. That's a a wonderful program, Augustana, and and Augustana is proud. But you talk about students. I meet them that, that come back for a football game and and say, "Boy, I've read about the APEP program." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm honored to be uh, and privileged and lucky to be a part of that. Well, both of you are. And, yeah, uh, Rebecca is, and uh, yeah, yeah. And I know what they say about yeah about her and. Well, they're they are remarkable, and, and well, let's face it, they're perfect students. What else <laughs> have they got to do? Well, <laughs> they but a lot of them wouldn't choose to be there. So the ones that applied, you know, they there's an application process yep. and they they're Which there because vigorous. they're hungry for something. Yep, that <clears throat> well that's it. There is a hunger. Yeah. And uh, in prison what else have you got to do that occupies the mind 
in a positive way. And, and there's, there's the key. It is positive. I, I mean, I know the teachers that are in there. We meet uh, frequently together. Um, positivity is clear. And I have two. They're very short stories. One is the guy who said, Augustana is coming to us. Yeah. We're going to have teachers that will write for us. It's, yeah. it's just beyond imagination. Yeah. And the other story is <clears throat> I, the first day of class, and I was in, on it in, in the fall of last year, and a student walked in. He was the last one to get in the program and the last one to walk in the class. He wasn't late. He walked in. He looked at me about two feet from my face, put his fist in the air, and, and said, I just won the lottery. <laughs> to be let in. And what yeah. he meant was, I got in the program. And yeah. every one of them responds that way, don't they? I know, they, they do. They do, yep. yeah. Well, they write know, brilliantly, so many. And, yep. <clears throat> it is amazing that uh, you can have such a positive impact on a person who uh, whose life has been screwed up yep. and who needs, needs yep. something, yep. needs something to bring him back in. Yeah, yeah, we we see it, and and uh, when those teachers talk, and Rebecca and I have talked, and the others as well, um, the, the positivity that they receive, and then I think give back. I think so too. Um, <clears throat> and uh, um, and they're not. It's not easy on them. I walked past a bunch of non-students who were coming by us as. as Class was the people in class were headed out, and I heard them saying, "Oh, there's the smart people going to class." And I thought, "Oh, I bet they're up against, you know, inside the prison. You know, do they think too much of themselves? Are they, you know, it's not easy to be. Uh, uh, the program's new, so we don't even know yeah. how that's gonna. It's always tough to swim against the stream." Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any difference what the stream happens to be. Yeah. Yeah. But to step outside that, to have the nerve and the courage and the determination to do it. Yeah. I mean, that alone speaks volumes. But to have students who are grateful to have a teacher. Yeah. And that's that's when you are, when you really feel fulfilled as a teacher. Right. That you're doing some solid good. With people who really yeah. want to achieve. They want yeah. to achieve. They do achieve. Um, I've taught English at Augustana for 46 years. I've been at Augustana for 52. And uh, some of the best papers I've ever, ever read were written in the prison. By and hand. By they hand. Have computers, no computers. Typewriters. And just br- there are some that are just brilliant. And, and then you talk with these guys and... Uh, there's a lot we don't know about them, and yeah. that's on purpose. But what we have in front of us is um, a lot of, very often, brilliant minds. For sure, it seems that most of them, at 17, 18 years old, made a bad choice and um, yeah. and didn't get away with it, where a lot of us mm-hmm. made bad choices and did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And, and they're, they're on a new road. That's a positive program. I have somebody that wrote about it in our church bulletin, and the title of it was, It's Only Good. Well, you know, you contrast that with the freezer lectures, which are optional. People can come or not. And uh, 
There was plenty to occupy themselves outside of the lecture hall. They're packed. But mm-hmm. they choose to come. Yeah, yeah. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I must say we're off to a good start on this year's uh, Freeze Lecture Series, uh, Ideas That Changed Us. And Styron Sophie's Choice Changed You, so you're trying to change others. And I, I just take that book along and it'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you've had a very interesting career. I have. Sports I've, into English. Yeah. And I've been so supported by the English department. It's okay to be coaching, and the coaches say it's okay to be doing English, though it's a little weird. They say, <laughs> <laughs> Why do you care? But they're supporting it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, Paul. It's an honor. I do thank appreciate you. it. And that'll do it for this edition of Scribble. I'm Don Wooten, Rebecca Wee, and I will be back next week, and we hope you will too, in the next edition of Scribble. Scribble.